back to a better world. This is your host, Mitchell J. Raven, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have another very interesting show because I have invited back two very special dear colleagues and friends of mine, Drs. J.J. and Desiree Hurtock, the founders of the Academy of Future Science. Both of these uh, this couple are very distinguished in the work that they have done as social scientists around the world. The Academy for Future Science is an internationally known NGO through the United Nations where they do a lot of very good work in helping to pioneer and support the work of indigenous peoples and indigenous wisdom from all over the world. So it is with great pleasure and great honor that I have invited back and have them as guests again tonight, the Hurtocks. Just to say as well that Dr. J.J. Hurtock has been internationally recognized for his extraordinary book, The Keys of Enoch, which has been just uh, welcomed and warmly embraced around the world as a very, very interesting stimulating and spiritually aware and awake text. So that's sort of what kicked off a lot of their professional work, which has reached into all vast corners of the world. Today, we will be looking at a subject that is following up on where we were in our last dialogue with them on A Better World Radio, which was on Fukushima. So we call this the follow-up on Fukushima. But we're also going to take a look at Standing Rock and what is going on out there because it's not unrelated. When we look at what the pollution has been, the contamination through fossil fuels, through the nuclear industry, it's vitally important that we turn the corner as a society and begin to open up more thoroughly more profoundly, to the advent of solar, wind, geothermal, microhydro technologies, renewable energies that nature has bequeathed unto us that we have received and we need to make better use of to help to stem the tide, no pun intended, of the uh, deleterious effects of climate change. So, with that said, I want to introduce you all to my dear friends, Drs. J.J. and Desiree Hurtock. Thank you, Mitchell, for the wonderful introduction. It's an honor to be with you. You are a beacon of light to those who understand the problems of climate change. But also, from a positive standpoint, you, as well as ourselves, have looked at alternative strategies, and it's all in the attitude that we take. Either we can meet these problems headlong, push the envelope forward into the future, and see a planet Mother Earth in peace and harmony, or simply be confounded by the pontificating of politicians who have overlooked the critical data. And we're very happy you had us back. And, of course, it's been five years since Fukushima. Time flies, I know. And so there was a very big, uh, you know, acknowledgement of what was taking place and what has, continues to take place. That's the scary thing. You think five years, it's gone, it's finished, you know, no one's talking so about it. So we would it. hope, right? Yeah, but not the case, of course. And uh, if we want to take a look at, you know, three major reactors went off uh, back in the – 
really five years ago. They call it the 311. Actually, we have, of course, 911. They call it the 311. Um, but uh, the first reactor had melted 70% at the time of the disaster, and now in 2016 it's 100% gone. So that's a safety good factor. But there's other reactors. There was reactor... Meaning that the, the rods are spent yes. fully. Yes. But Unit 2 uh, was 33% at the time of the disaster. It's only 50%, which means it's still going. And Unit 3 uh, also uh, was just damaged, and now it's also down to about 50%. And the problem is, as some of your audience may know, that you know with Chernobyl, they just kind of put a big concrete dome around it and said, okay, we won't touch you for a long time. But they built these reactors, the Fukushima reactors, too close to the water. And you can't put concrete around it. You can't insulate it. No, it would just sink and it would fall apart because it just breaks up. So they have tried everything themselves. Now they're finally getting open to international assistance. Yes, technically there was a, a fourth nuclear plant that was involved in the tragedy. So we're looking at 11 reactors and four nuclear plants, basically three Chernobyls put together. Are you saying that the entire Fukushima disaster has equaled that? Three Chernobyls in scope of radiation but also a lot of that is because they have not been able to stop it. So what they do, and also what was also present that wasn't in what I just said. Oh, that's an interesting was, point. Yes. Was, was their spent fuel rods. Now, usually, and in this country, if you spend a fuel rod, you put it somewhere like in a cave somewhere and you take it away. It. Yeah, and you get rid of it. In fact, there's some new nuclear uh, power plants that are looking at uh, really being able to reuse those. So, you know, there may be some positive things that do ultimately come out, although I'm not in favor of nuclear power by any uh, stretch, stretch of the imagination. But, but ultimately, uh, the fact that they kept their spent fuel rods there, so they not only have to stop the reactions that are still taking place kind of under the ground where they can't really get to them, onto these containers, but they also have to get rid of all these spent fuel rods, and they do that with water. And they try to, like, put water in to, you know, move the radiation out and clean it and move it around. And so, in a sense, it's using dilution as the means of mollifying the effect? Yes, but at a certain point, they, there's not enough space for all this water they've been using for right, five years. Right, not enough water <laughs> either. Well, there's enough water, but, I mean, where does it go? And so, unfortunately, yes, exactly. we do feel still some of it has seeped into the Tokyo aquifer, and others have. Of course, that's the more popular thing from people talking in California, and we're Californians, that it's gone out into the sea, into the ocean, and even into right. Hawaii. And it's and gone from exactly across the Pacific to all of you in California, and you're saying Hawaii. Absolutely, there are are uh, proven effects of Fukushima on the Californian shore. Right. We were there a month after the disaster took place. We were the first social scientist on the ground that took inventory with the populace as well as the engineers behind the scenes. Two of those engineers I was in touch with who gave me, shall we say, sensitive information have now died from radiation levels. Oh, we are looking at These are Japanese scientists. Yes, 800,000 tons of highly radioactive water that was put in special tanks, containing tanks, as a result of that disaster, which is the equivalent of 315 
Olympic size pools, 315 Olympic sized tools, and so the the backup holding structures were not in place. The four plants were built on landfill or a subduction zone, which was a great and should we say a gross error in energy protection. And also, it took 88 days for the Japanese government and TEPCO to recognize that there was a serious problem here. So we're looking at a population that... TEPCO being the... the Tokyo uh, Electric Power Utility. We're talking about a population of people who were completely behind the nuclear industry that has now dwindled to a small fraction of about 10 or 15 percent. But it's hard to get this information out. About a year ago, uh, a doctor called Tsuda from Okayama University said he had been studying all the cases of cancer in the area. And one of the first really bad things that happened, especially that's why they give people iodine, is the thyroid. And children are very susceptible to that. And he believes that there was a 30-fold increase in cancer cases that was seen. Now, there's controversy, obviously. Specifically thyroid cancer? Yeah, mainly. And there's controversy around it because I guess in Korea they were studying thyroid in children, and they found many more cases than if they hadn't studied. It was a strange phenomena. So, you know, everyone's saying, well, maybe it's not that bad. But, you know, the, the millisieverts, which is where they count radiation, was, you know, normally it's about 2.5 in our environment from time to time, uh, but it was up as high as 12 to 20 millisieverts at the time of the reaction. And I think the scary thing is that people uh, are looking at even going back into the area of Fukushima. There's a few people that live, there's a few people live in Chernobyl, too, you know, yeah. these people that just kind of hang 60 out. 60 Minutes did a, a segment on those people, actually, yeah. not long ago. And older people, yeah. to be honest, you know, like there's one guy that's in Fukushima, he's, you know, in his 75, 80 or something like that, he doesn't care, you know, and, you know. 80 years young. <laughs> yeah, I know. But uh, but it's a matter of habit, yeah, if you will. You don't see anything, that's the thing. I, I mean, just yeah. just about to yeah. bring that up yeah. exactly, Desiree. The problem with radiation is it's invisible, and you don't know how deadly it really, or harmful it really is by just being in its presence. So I actually wonder, because I have friends and colleagues who do business, actually, wind energy business in Japan, and thankfully there's a lot of people in government and certainly business who really want to build the renewable energy sector to replace the use of nuclear, Um, so there is that whole thrust. But I'm very deeply concerned about my friends who are going there on a regular basis who are inhaling and being subject to this kind of radiation. I think I think going to put the Olympics there, and I really think that they should. The radiation levels are 27 times the normal radiation dosage for an average human adult being. Well, of course, this is mainly in the north. Yes. I mean, it's but from Tokyo a little bit north-wise. So if because you, it's, it's air, though. That's why I'd love yeah. to hear what you have to say about that. Because it's airborne and air is blowing constantly, it's not something that remains um, kind of geospecific. It's it's always trans-Pacific, if you will. Well, I think that's more scary is the fact that, if anything, from the location, the wind currents are really taking it east. 
So it goes yeah. around the area. That's why I said Tokyo really is somewhere in the middle of all that. But then it doesn't quite go as far down, I don't think, as Kobe, and certainly not as far as areas like Okinawa. So there are places that are, you know, just as oh, safe as being in, yeah, in, as being in Hawaii or something like that. But nevertheless, I mean, to do like something like the Olympics where people are training, running, breathing deeply. I think that this is really asking for too much, you know. But, you know, they, they knew the, the risks when they decided How to do it there. How many people have died, do you think, directly from the Fukushima disaster in, in Japan? In terms of the, uh, the major earthquake, which is 9.0 on the Richter scale, plus the after effects, uh, which may be radiation-related, uh, 20,000 is the official figure, but we know it's much higher than that. Yeah, and anyone who gets cancer, you know, you don't know whether you can say it is Fukushima or it's not Fukushima. I mean, there was just recently, actually here in New York City, and you probably know this, maybe you've even reported on it, just because of the coming down of the World Trade Center, yeah. there was a certain window where people who had a certain cancer or Long disease yeah, could go in for economic benefits from the yeah, government. Right. They just extended that uh, that date right now to yeah. going another two or three years that you can go in now and say where that date had originally been closed. So it's yeah. an ongoing thing. What I'm saying is, like, you know, it doesn't necessarily – you don't die necessarily in six months. It's not like the Hiroshima bomb or something where people are wiped out instantaneously. These things are lingering. Gradual and eventual – Exactly. It's so, so difficult. So how many people were said to have died at Chernobyl? No, I mean, that's, that's not that high because they did get people moved and out. and people. But, you know, we had friends in Finland that ended up with cancer because there were clouds that went everywhere. And, you know, when they think back, they think, well, you know, maybe it was around the time. So these numbers are what is the real problem with analyzing the circumstances yes. of things like Fukushima and Chernobyl or even 9-11. I mean, how many people died in 9-11 other than in the, in the thing coming down? There's all these respiratory problems, all these other things that have continued on that even our government acknowledges. And, you know, honestly, uh, if you want to look at it from a total biological mind-body point of view, a lot of people could have died or certainly been made ill from broken hearts. Feelings of betrayal when they contemplate who it is that might have caused this in the first place. Number two, the loss of loved ones that they were very close to. A lot of you know, husbands and fathers left young children behind all over the tri-state area. And really, we know that broken hearts and deeply felt emotions have direct somatic consequences. Yeah, or even just witnessing it. Many people witnessed what was happening. And the trauma that the occurs trauma. from that, exactly. So, Mitchell, so, I brought with us a picture of a young rabbit born near Fukushima, that is to say, in the 20 to 30 kilometer I want range. Our audience to see this. Without ears. Oh. Many pets, cats, and animals, small animals like rabbits, especially have been born without eyes or ears. And according to the experts that I've talked to behind the scene, Japan is getting prepared for a tsunami on biological defects. Oh, God. So, J.J., you're bringing up a whole other 
domain, which is genetic mutation. Right, right. And just to go back into the study from Dr. Tsuda, he was saying that there was about per million of children, he was finding about 605 cases of thyroid cancer. So that's quite high, actually, much higher than it would normally the be. The norm. Yeah. And, you know, then there's leukemia. There's many things. And we even had friends in uh, Hawaii where the kids had leukemia. Now, you know, you can't point the finger. You can't say it was Fukushima, but who knows? These definitely are, you know, fuzzy numbers, so to speak, on one hand. But you can look at trends. You can look, to some extent, at correlations. But let me ask you both this. Have you known of any genetic mutations or deleterious consequences as a result of the use of solar energy or wind? <laughs> That's a great question. No, obviously not. It's very, very good and very important. I'm so excited that I, it's really sad. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? I, I thought, <laughs> you don't have to be worried about it. I thought exactly after this happened, and, of course, it really did stop a lot of the uh, nuclear plans for this country and, of course, did halt a lot of the nuclear plans in Europe, so that was a good thing. Yes, but I thought, Germany especially, you know, you, that changed its entire policy yes. in respect to nuclear. Yeah. But what was so exciting is that, you know, here you feel like the people of Japan that brought us the Prius and the Toyota and all that stuff and, and Hondas and everything like that would be – so moved and so, you know, focused Inspired. Yeah, to move into renewables or some sort Isn't of newer that situation. Just bizarre. I know completely what you mean, Desiree. I thought the same thing. It's sort of like, okay, hell has shown itself. Let's get the message and go green. But instead, that diehard, highly conservative aspect of the Japanese psyche did actually the opposite. They dug in deeper and said we need more and better nuclear plants. Right, so they put some more back on because some of them they had taken off for that time. Now they're back on again, they're functioning, and they're looking at, you know, I mean, part of Fukushima is still functioning as well. Now, at the outset of your program, you mentioned the Keys of Enoch. I want to read what I wrote in 1973. I'm reading from section oh, or key. Please do. This is fascinating. 118. Oh, my. Beginning. Are you going to read it in Hebrew, Aramaic, or Aramaic? Uh, I'll just read it uh, easily in English prose. <laughs> the plan has been issued to negate man's violation and destruction of his atmosphere and his radiation fields, especially through his misuse of atomic energy. He has also caused the destruction to many biological kingdoms on this planetary life station known as planet Earth. Yeah. One other verse. Verse 4 of Key 118. Man has shown that he has lost control of his planet by virtue of the danger he not only presents to himself but to the surrounding planetary environments by his pursuit of atomic energy for destructive use. Now, we are living at a situation worldwide of a global initiative to look at the the problems of not only nuclear energy but nuclear weapon systems in space. And that is why it moves me deeply to say that astronaut Edgar Mitchell, before he died, wanted me to bring this message to the world that he was for a peace treaty in outer space that would prohibit the launch of nuclear weapon systems, which would be the death of our biosphere. Absolutely. The so-called weaponization of space. Correct. 
And we are at the brink of either taking a great leap forward by raising the consciousness of environmentalists, futurists, sociologists, humanitarians, to step really into the, the front lines of the debate or resting upon the politicians and political scientists of the old school that do not have the actual data at their fingertips and have violated really the data collection that is necessary through these unique tools of the Internet and other areas of investigation, such as remote sensing technology that we specialize in. So Desiree and I have been involved for many years with the ozone depletion studies. Mm -hmm. I, as a special consultant to NASA, we've been looking at the destruction of the Amazon rainforest and also in Indonesia with the indigenous peoples who are crying and saying, Industrial North, wake up. And we look at you really on the firing line of getting people to really go beyond the, the political games of North America and say, wait a minute, there's something more than this political game. We all have a responsibility of a, a citizen uh, public, of a planetary humanity, to be in touch with the best specialist who can breach the chasm and give us the answers. Because I believe Fukushima can be controlled if we can take European, North American, and Asian scientists and engineers and put them together to work on this problem, just as Russia finally invited others to come in with respect to Chernobyl. So, in other words, you're you're proposing a technological type of solution, right? To the crown to prince, contain, to is it containment? Containment. And I've seen plans on the drawing board, uh, and I've talked to people involved with what we call in the field of the new water research, Brown's gas, which is the use of an additional molecule that between seems, the liquid and the gaseous state. That seems to implode things so that you could actually maybe get rid of some. This is what Nikola Tesla actually had done and uh, some of the preliminary stuff. And then uh, Walt Brown, or Yul Brown, sorry, Yul Brown from Australia. Took um, it to the next level. Yeah. So we can purify the environment. You can basically neutralize the 400,000 gallons per day that are being poured out on the shoreline of Japan. Through the use of... Well, Brown's gas was one possibility. There's other possibilities of even building more sophisticated so containments. I'm aware of that. I've been asked, actually, to help uh, present a new form of nuclear containment that is not just cement. It's a whole other way and different technology. And I thought, oh, my God... I don't know what he, know anyone in the Japanese government to present it to, so I really couldn't go any further with it. But I'm glad to hear about these kinds of initiatives and interest in doing this. Now, are you proposing here that there is essentially, uh, we say technological, but a, chem- a biochemical solution to neutralizing the effects of radiation? It's more of a biochemical, biophysical solution. It's twofold. It requires, should we say, a green light from the Japanese government to see what can be done on a small basis. Mm-hmm. I am in touch with a scientist. I will not give their names at this time, but we are trying through the Crown Prince and the Crown Princess of Japan to sh- demonstrate the effectiveness of this approach. It's a containment wall. Have their ear. I have people close to them who are interested in all new ap- arrangements of containment plus, when I say containment plus, I mean going to the source of the water storage systems that are contaminated. Well, on that note, my dear friends, let's talk offline. 
about the technology that I have access to that may be able to play a role in what you're talking about. Right, and even on a very mundane science level, this it's a thorium fission reactor is being experimented with right now, and that can also take these bent fuel rods, bent mm -hmm. fuel rods, and put them into the system to destroy them at the same time because they'll further burn them out. So that's the interesting thing. So, you know, even MIT and other places are starting to work with how do we get rid of all this spent fuel rods to get rid of the nuclear stuff that's all over in our oceans, too. Some of them were put in the in boxes in our oceans that are now cracking open. We have that off the coast of uh, San Francisco and other places, needless to say. But let's talk on some other issues because we can go down First, this road. First, I want to just... Thank you, J.J., for reading from The Keys of Enoch. That is dated, do you say, 1973? Right. So it shows the prophetic nature of what it was you experienced in the download of the book and how it's showing up very specifically. Ironically, I was at Fukushima a month after when the keys were launched in the Japanese language. It does really say in three weeks. Yes, it was three weeks. So I was there because of the keys and because of Japanese oh linguists and activists who were aware that we had been given indications long before of climate change and our responsibilities to electrify the world of futurism and to look seriously at the international teamwork. But I was also very happy when we were there. We were That's talking. So we were talking to the people who were this, living. This is going back to 1973. Well, no, no, no. Uh, was, going uh, back to 73. Yes, that so, I know. But we were going back to 2011. Said, yeah. Oh, so okay. Fuku when Fukushima happened, so we came three weeks. Literally, we were there for a week. Oh, so I understand. Three weeks right after, and so we were working with some of the people there, and they all had a very deep understanding not to panic to meditate, to bring their energies more, you know, inward and to, like, relax. And they felt they could get themselves through a lot of this radiation that they were being exposed to by just their own mental consciousness. Attitude. Yeah. Wow. And you have At to first give I thought you said they were, you were going to say they all had a deep cough. <laughs> 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 yeah, oh, that's fantastic. You know, you're reminding me of a story that goes back to a book called The Psychology of Conscience, Consciousness by uh, Robert Bornstein, who cited an example of monks meditating at the time of Hiroshima. Yes. And, in fact, they were not nearly as affected by the radiation as all of their brothers and sisters around them. It's very interesting. And we believe that's true. I mean, you have that consciousness, you of kind of have that field of, we'll say, light protection. We know that that is sure. a major uh, scenario. Also, iodine doesn't hurt, though. That's <laughs> right. Uh, right. Meditate with a little iodine. Right? <laughs> but in fact, you know, I mean, what the meditation is also doing is, like, just neurophysiologically and physiologically, is it's helping to build the immune function. Because if one is in a relaxed, coherent state, that means respiration in the cells is more thorough and more efficient and effective, which allows for the elimination of waste, for the ingestion of and absorption of the nutrients, which allows the entire bodily system to function at a higher level. 
And I actually think if you meditate, and one of the things you are doing, exactly what you're saying, is that you're almost healing your body because you're yes. putting your body almost in a, I won't say a sleep state, but you know, the reason why we sleep is That's to right. really heal our to body. Regenerate. regenerate. And if you meditate, you're actually almost doing that as well, and you're en- lending energy to really the restoration of your body parts. That's because it, So it's very That's important correct. to do that. And I, I would tell people to do that now, regardless of Fukushima or whatever, in this hectic reality that we live in if people don't take the time to restore their bodies on a daily basis they can actually end up with cancers and all the other things we're talking about that physiological domain that you're referring to here desiree but the spiritual let's just say coming home to one's own inner divine self becomes available when we're mind our mind is still and quiet you know this is ancient ancient wisdom speaking We've been recently also involved with what we call musical therapy or musical pharmacology, which is the study of the energy vibrations. Okay, now we're going to start having some fun, JJ. I got it. (laughs) We're shifting gears, folks. Let me let everybody know we are speaking in this full, full show today with two of my very dear friends, Drs. JJ and Desiree Hurtak, who are the founders of the Academy for Future Science, an international NGO. They do a lot of work at the United Nations. They are internationally known and leading social scientists who have just been involved in so many different initiatives to help us understand the effects of climate change, of global warming, of the effects of, uh, of fossil fuel production in areas that are lived in by indigenous people, the corruption of the Amazon rainforest. Basically, they travel across the world, oftentimes invited by governments, to speak on these kinds of subjects. But they're not limited to that alone at all, and we're about to take a beautiful dive into the domain of musical therapy and musical pharmacology, which we're about to do. Just to remind you, you're listening to A Better World with Mitchell J. Rabin. We're on every Wednesday, typically, at 6 p.m., and this will be aired then, too. We're also on television every Monday evening at 7 p.m. If you do not yet get our newsletter, please visit us at our website at www.abetterworld.tv. That's abetterworld.tv, and become part of the A Better World family. So, welcome, both of you. It's such a pleasure to have you back on a better world. You help to make it a better world. I love I love your title and your program is outstanding, Mitch. We think of you all the time when we travel and just to literally jump into the water, pardon the pun. Please go. Uh, years ago, I was doing research uh, with Dr. Jorge Reynolds in South America, who was the ingenious doctor who studied the heartbeat of the whale. He was able to connect as an advisor to NASA and also with the, the Navy of the country of Colombia using one of their submarines to trace the movement of a whale as well as the dolphins, study their heartbeat, their communication system. As a consequence, he devised several pacemaker systems to work with humans like ourselves under stress and strain. And his studies of the whale Heart. We're talking about a five-ton heart inside of a traditional five-ton heart inside of a tra- Yes, that's what Hori said. Have to have, he he was, have to make a pacemaker for one of them. 
he was able to recognize, as we know from the ancient Oriental Sutras or sacred text, that life is all vibrations. And if you have the right vibrations and can score them properly and follow the rhythms and rhymes of what our ocean brothers and sisters do, perhaps we can elevate not only in states of consciousness but states of healing. And this has been... Uh, as we, uh, I'm doing that all the time with energy medicine with the life system. My exactly. System. Exactly right. You would know this, and this oh, brings yeah. us into a whole new area of how the missing pieces of pharmacology as well as medical therapy can now resonate better through certain types of music. And I'm speaking of the sacred sounds that can be syncopated, those that can be used in the breathing process over a period of quiet elongation, breath and sustainability, and also what we found in sustained our... Sustained breath? Correct. What we, that is to say, breathing from the deeper part of the stomach the region. Zanjian, the center right. of the hara, to stay true to the Japanese. And what we found more recently in our work with our European counterparts, particularly Vera Brandes, a noted German physicist researcher who was a... Um, figurehead for the music industry, the Tangerine Dream and some of these big outfits, who began to recognize that some musicians respond favorably to certain types of music that are not based upon the heavy metal cacophony. And so in sharing notes, Desiree and I have collected uh, a vast library of musical creations, and now in conjunction with some of the leading musicologists in the world, we're going to be putting out some of these studies and the musical CDs. Right. One of the things that Vera showed is that uh, by certain types of music, mostly natural sound instruments and uh, more melodic scenarios connected with nature, she actually got people to uh, reduce their alcohol intake, even get off of alcohol. This is a whole complete study that she's been able to do. But I'd like to also, because this time is How short. How do you spell her last name? Brandis, like Chief Brandis. Brandis University. Yeah. Well, well, no, it's over the D-E-S. D-E-S, okay, yeah. Brandis. But I have to Thank say, you. you had brought up something at the very beginning, and that is the thing of the uh, the Indians right now, that are the Native Americans, we should call them, out. Standing Rock. Yes. And well, the whole let thing me is, just say okay. before we jump, I, I'm, I'm ready to leap, and no worry, we will extend time because we can collapse it here at A Better World. Don't worry. Okay. Um, but I want to just play on the musical theme, if you will, or meme, as we say these days. The work of Sherry Edwards, which you probably know, signature sound going back many decades out in the Midwest of our own country, was identifying the sounds in a person's voice that were missing, the tones, the notes that right. were missing, and then supplying them through some little black box that she had, or through her own voice at first, and by doing so, helped to heal any number of different kinds of illnesses all the way through to cancer. But right. wasn't that so, called toning? I think it was at yes, that point. Yes. yes, but she had her own particular yeah. branding, no pun intended, but it's it's a similar kind of... Yeah. Uh, supply side of notes that would create a musical profile that would allow a person to reach their own wholeness, which also meant, you know, from the from the um, Indo-European 
wholeness and health come from the same root. Well, that's why singing may be good because it's also pushing you beyond oh, your yes. normal tonal oh, range because it's that tonal range that's probably missing it's something is true. what she said. So singing awesome. can open that. And one of the interesting things in terms of our study is they've taken music into places of nursing homes and people with dementia, people who don't even open their eyes half the time or are looking down at their table and just being pushed around in a wheelchair, and you put on music typical of what they enjoyed when they were in their 20s and 30s, and these guys perk up. They know the music, they know the song, and this is being happening in many places in Canada and the U.S. in terms of trying to get back to get in reach with these people. Desiree, what you're referring to is a film a documentary called Alive Inside. I know, I interviewed the social worker who put it all together, and he would take um, iPads, or iPods, I mean, iPods, and put them on the heads of these people in nursing homes and play music of the 20s and the 30s, and the music, as you were saying, of their generation. And in one case, the man could not remember the name of his daughter but when you put on the swing, Duke Ellington and the rest, he knew every single word of the lyric. I mean, it's just this kind of, it's like accessing a different part of the brain, a whole new neural network that has gone dormant, but when reached through what you're saying, becomes alive again, and the people's lives are reignited. Now, Mitchell, someone so beautiful. can say, how does, this, you for bringing that how does this relate to the better water, the, the better world, pardon me? Well, and to the, the water, water, the water uh, of the water, water molecule of life, JJ. within the body, the water system of the body, 70% to 80% yes. with the water molecule is one of the triggers of a transduction system of hearing sounds and processing Absolutely. different reactions. And so this is how we are looking at this, not simply as water music or water pharmacology, but a way of interspecies communication with the dolphins, with the whales, even with the plants. And our research the last few years has been involved in Italy, in Europe especially, but also in South America and Asia with those who have followed the work of Marcel Vogel and others with oh, yes. plant communication. Beautiful. And what are Going we back to about? the secret life of plants with Peter right. Tompkins. Exactly right. To, for an antecedent. But you're also, and Chris Bird. And Chris Bird, exactly. You're also implying the work here of Dr. Omoto, who I know you're very friendly with, and we all brought to New York some years back, and he was here for an interview as well for Better World TV. And, of course, their water as our body through our cells is a carrier of information, and the information is often musical, or emotional, and of course the element that's related to emotion is water. So water is the vehicle, water is the carrier. And now when you mix water with electricity, another way of putting that is mixing water with fire, interestingly enough. And if you steam water, that's an alchemical process. Well, we just returned from what's called the Water Conference, and uh, the real question is, does water have memory? And there seems to be some manifestation, not just the fact of you have one oxygen, two hydrogen, but the way the bonds 
Uh, normally uh-huh. they're about 100 and 405 degrees. Why? Because they have the, the, the angles. But actually you can slightly shift that, and that's part of the work with Brown's gas, and many people mm. don't take this seriously, but there seems to be a lot of uh, benefit in shifting those molecule angles to other types of degrees, and that allows the, the memory storage of some of the water. They're not I've really sure that. what causes so everything. fascinating. And well, you have... You've been with the people or you right. know of that kind and of thing. And some research. of this is also from uh, Professor Jerry Pollack from the University of Washington State. And he calls, um, there's also, he calls it the fourth state of water, which is between the liquid and the solid. Yes. And he calls it EZ, E like a letter, and Z like the letter, water. And this is very, very interesting in terms of being able to show that there's these different stages of water. Yes. And water also. I'm looking for some of that right now. One of my, one of my friends right now, you know, is working on water even for health and healing. And I think that this is really exciting that, you know, we don't realize the type of water we take in. Actually, in Britain, they found out that people were taking in water from a dirty pond with algae, and they were really getting sick. And, you know, the British government didn't realize it until too late, and now they fix it. Look at Flint, Michigan, if we're talking about oh environment. Oh, my God. You know, this is the lead and everything exactly. like that. But on the reverse of that, you put in the right water, the maybe even you know, oxygenated water, certain types of water, something you have in your hand right here. I have double a private, helix water. A double helix water. Which is, again, the exploration, the exploration of different phase changes of water between gas and liquid. Okay, well, that's very much like Brown's gas. I know, some that's cases. why I'm bringing it and there's all as different, Exhibit A. And, uh, and these things are really shown to help people. You, sometimes they get rid of the extra oxi- uh, radicals in your body because that you're exposed to all the time. Free radicals, yes. Yeah, and well, that means they would be getting rid of us. <laughs> well, yes, there's a humorous uh, way of looking at this. We all have to shift somewhere along the line <laughs> into a very harmonic. But putting all this together through, through, Sorry about that, folks. <laughs> through, new, through new water physics and chemistry, through research dealing with uh, uh, our brothers and sisters in the ocean by studying their ways of communicating, uh, and also by looking at the big picture of how all life is interconnected through a vibratory circuitry of sound and acoustical patterns will allow us, I believe, to enter into the use of other states of matter and energy. Absolutely. The fourth and the fifth states. Oh, God, yes. So what does this mean? It means that we are on the lip. If we can hold to our balance of a whole new renaissance. If we can keep the third dimension intact, we might be able to access the fourth and the fifth. And you know, this is so important because we are being bombarded all the time with negative reports and those who have only a little of the big picture. If we see the larger picture, then we realize that we are basically cosmic beings in human form. And that we come in as a water body within the womb of our mother. We, the first nine months of our year are in the ocean of the life force of Mother Life, Mother Earth, and a process uh, of going to the womb of historic manifestation is to recognize that that water memory, that molecule that can take us back once again to the womb of birth, allows us to see all of the other properties that we are still connected with as vibratory beings, all connected with as one body of humanity. There's only one 
being on this planet, and we're all part of the life force of that one being. Well, I always remember Star Trek. There was one alien that called us bags of water. I always thought that was a great comment <laughs> because, in a sense, we really are yeah. 70 to 75%, depending on your age, That's water, right. and your brain actually has more water than the, sometimes the rest of your body. Or Frank Herbert's Subdune, where he speaks of those who are water, quote-unquote, colleagues, those who understand the invisible life force. Well, let's take another look at what's taking place on the planet. First of all, so we should get with back that to... Said, with that said, I just want to thank you both for the extraordinary work that you have done on behalf of indigenous people. And, you know, when we say that, we're a little broad in our speaking because all beings are indigenous because that means of and from the land where you are or originated. So I appreciate that, but in our parlance, if you will, indigenous people is referring, of course, to the people who seem to be of the land originally in a given geographic locale. And in that light, you have both done excellent work. I know I've seen the footage, I have interviewed you, I have hung out with you, and I know what you've done, and it really is exemplary, and you really deserve great uh, Great. Thanks from us. Well, what's interesting what about the indigenous people, and this is uh, from South African uh, Zulus and also the Shafanti in Brazil that we've worked with, is they seem to be in touch also with nature. It's almost like the Avatar oh, movie. Yes. And they have this ability to kind of communicate with everything around them on a different level than what we yes. do. They don't need to speak. And this is what we just recently saw. At, with the indigenous people in Standing Rock. Yes. Tell me. Well, they were obviously they were limited to where they can go and do. So were you out the, there? No, no. I've just seen it on the internet. You oh, actually okay. see that. But they were limited by what they could do by the police that were there limiting exactly, them. The and all of a sudden, this herd oh. of buffalo. Came and you can go look. Is it Standing Rock Buffalo? I've heard about it. Since yeah, you told yeah. Me. I can send you the link. Uh, amazing that they just showed up to be there, almost to defend them. Well, just what like they found is, but what they found is actually there were some people on horseback who were in high, great support of the indigenous peoples' um, water, the water protectors, and they were commandeering. They were steering the steer, if you will, um, down the mountain or the through the field to go. So it was, I know what you, you mean, it's it like was, spontaneous psychic right. combustion. But, and it is that well, too. I have to say, you it know, we, that too. we've worked in Africa and there was a man who took care of elephants in South Africa. And this was written up in the newspaper and there was no one behind this. But uh, he died. And uh, some these elephants he had left off into the wild, you know, for years and stuff like that. And all of a sudden when he died, they actually all knew about it, and they all came back, and they I'm were there. They were there for his funeral. You can look that up. The man who loved elephants in South Africa, oh they came God, back for his funeral. So Lord. they do know what's going on. Oh, oh yes, yeah. exactly. And, and by the way, what I said, that there were some yeah. horsemen, because I know they, they told the story, unfortunately, of – the the cops or whoever it was there, the military, uh, shot one of the horses mm. that were coming down that these folks were on. It was horse women and horse men, both. And they had to put the horse down. Um. And so on top of all the tragedy going on, 
that broke everybody's heart too. But you see, uh, where I come from, Desiree, is that even the people who were steering the bison were part of the larger psychic story that is analogous to what you're telling about with the elephants. It's part of a whole psychic quantum field that communication is happening on so many different nonverbal levels that brought the inspired them to come and bring and do what they did. Yeah. And but now it's really up to us. Yes. Yes. It's really up to us to take care of not only ourselves, which is very important. I think all of us are starting to feel what's going on in the Middle East and other parts of the world. But also we're not that aware of the plants and the animals and how the change of climate is affecting them and also the way we've managed things. There was actually something in 2010 called the Census of Marine Life. It was a 10-year study with 360 scientists, and they were showing that the depletions in our oceans have been enormous since the 1950s, and World Wildlife Fund has actually even said 50% of the sea life uh, has decreased. This is on the surface sea life. There's some really deep surface uh, sea life that uh, Mm -hmm. is still protected, 50% from 1970 to 2012, but actually the census of marine life has shown that it's even much, much more from 1950 till now. And I think what's really sad is major die-offs. Have you heard about those? I mean, people talk about the the bees, you know, um, going away. But just even in the last year, and this has been really going on since about 2011. And in 2011, in an area called in uh, Beebe, Arkansas, there was literally like um, thousands of fish and 5,000 blackbirds that just died. They're within three days of each other. And people were having to drive around. They were driving over these blackbirds. It was horrible. But but if you look at, and I encourage people, if you have a strong intellect, I mean, don't do it if you're very heart-centered. And because, stomach. Yeah, because it's very, very tragic, I mean, that we're having these thousands of seabirds and turtles and mussels all, even in October of 2016, which is uh, the month we're doing this uh, this tape right now, you had 10,000 frogs in Lake Titicaca, Peru, die. You had tons of starfish in British Columbia, Canada. You have 10 tons of fish in uh, the rivers of Brazil. You have mussels in Ohio. They're all over the world. I mean, you have things from uh, St. Petersburg, Russia, thousands of dead fish all over. This is happening everywhere. It's called the die-off, and people don't know what it is. There was one thing that people had seen, which was uh, about 323 reindeer died up in Norway. They think that was from a lightning bolt, because oftentimes they stand together, and if one gets it, then the others get it. But, I mean, 320 reindeer in Norway just happened in August. So there's a lot going on on this planet, and it's not just Fukushima. It's not just toxins. There's a lot of things going on all over the planet. I'm glad you're bringing this up this way, Desiree. I'd love to know, because you two are so well-traveled, you are speaking with people both at the top of government as well as on the ground, indigenous people and others. You were just in Bulgaria. Mm -hmm. You were, you know, you spent a good amount of time. On water. You have to, you you spend a lot of time in Brazil and the Amazon. Yes, the world. So my, my question to you is, what Go ahead. do you also, by the way, in light of what you prophetically saw in 1973, 
that you just read from in the keys, what do you see very authentically now as you have digested your experience in what, what are you prognosticating? Not hoping, but prognosticating for what it is we're dealing with climatically with all the ecological changes you're speaking of your Desiree and where we are as a people facing this issue. Let me start off by saying three years before he died, I did a short interview documentary with Astronaut Mitchell. And in this draft that he brought out in 19, first draft was at the end of the 90s, and then another draft in 2009 stated that there was the existence of cosmic cultures in space. In other words, he raised the ET hypothesis that we were not the only evolution in the universe. The keys of Enoch speak to the fact that we have brothers and sisters in the greater universe. Just like dolphins and whales are our brothers, we are swimming in an ocean of consciousness. Yeah. And as we open our mind and our heart to the other vibratory languages of the living universe, we will receive answers from those cultures and levels of intelligence that have gone beyond this quote-unquote galactic quagmire where we find ourselves with all of these technical imbalances without the humanism and the ethics and the spiritual cosmology to understand our place in the greater cosmos. Well, that's why when uh, after Dr. Hertek's experience, he founded the Academy for Future Science because he feels there will always be a future and actually science will play a major role. And uh, my sister lives in the area of Fort Lauderdale and just south of her uh, area, uh, right now, there's a lot of flooding, or at least right at the last full moon. She had to drive seven blocks to get to her house, and it's all salt water that's coming up. So she lives near the ocean. Yes. So there's sea level rise happening all over Florida. I'll be down there in a few weeks. Yeah. Well, you know, certain times of the year it's okay. Other times it's worse. usually happens mostly at high tide. But the idea is that there's massive changes really taking place, and people are starting to feel it. In fact, speaking of the indigenous people, uh, the U.S. government is one of the first to actually pay some indigenous people in the panhandle just off of Florida for them to move. And they've lived there for, you know, we'll say eons, yeah, generations of time, but they no longer can stay there because there's uh, sea level rises destroying their homes. So we are, you know, the government is actually paying for them to leave, which is a great thing because we have to be prepared. The sad thing that we see is that we're not doing more. I mean, paying people to move off their property is not enough. I mean, it's not we, a solution. Yeah, yeah. We need to find... It's an adaptation, but it's not a solution. And so this is, in Dr. Herdeck's experience, he was shown that we would have the scientific knowledge to be able to help humanity to go through the changes that we're talking about today. Well, I will say that I very much appreciate the uh, fact that the technologies exist today. Actually, today, so many of, so much of what it is we need, but it is being suppressed for lots of economic and political reasons. I don't really want to go down that path, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it started, it didn't start with, but it was profoundly stepped up just through our dear friend Nikola Tesla. Exactly right. Time. Uh, so the issues at hand, and we all are in agreement and alignment with this, and we've discussed it already, made reference to, consciousness, that there needs to be a vertical integration, not just 
horizontal increase in technology and more capitalistic dollars made. And I'm not saying I'm against some kind of capitalism. That's not my point at all. The problem is the consciousness and the conscience that money and profit are put before people and planet and spirit. That's the issue. And until we get that, until that penny drops, so to speak, where people will have the proper proportion of morality, we're just going to get more of the same, I'm afraid, except it's going to be selling nuclear containment boxes. You know, that's not an answer to the world's issues. It's to step up the game, an evolutionary ladder to dealing with renewables and creating the value inherent in sustainability. It's a way of seeing. It's a world view, if you will. Yeah, the sad thing, they're not acting on it when they really should be. I mean, for example, we've just reached, and I think this is uh, in September, 400 parts per million CO2. This is the first time in 4 million years, the last time was the Miocene era, that we have been that high on CO2 levels. Now, obviously, we're not as hot in the Miocene era, you know, as then, because it was actually quite hot back then. But technically, both September and August has been the warmest on record in 136 years. So people don't think, I mean, today, did you enjoy today? It was a beautiful day. I did. But it's October 31st, and we're in New York City. It should not have been this warm. It should have been on a different scenario. And this is scary. I mean, we're all enjoying it. We don't want a cold winter. I never saw Hollywood, uh, Hollywood, Halloween trick-or-treaters wearing bathing suits. Today I did. <laughs> right. No, it's usually freezing here, really. Well, to use another like metaphor, that. it's kind of scary. As we look at the data. I feel like I'm being tricked here. <laughs> but it is truly a treat to have you on. <laughs> but the uh, great accomplishment was of Tesla was he was able to show between Earth and the ionosphere is a vacuum that can be tapped for an energy source. And if we have the right vertical technology with the right consciousness that you speak of, we can pull in freely large amounts of this energy field that exists to the human resonance. And we've been doing research on this both in the Middle East as well as through colleagues in Russia who have built elevated platforms who claim situations of being able to tap into this human resonance frequency, which then is amplified and used for a certain healing as well as community situations of balance. So it's a question of having also the right psychology and sociology in place to go with the green thumb. And that's the importance of having the greater vision of a better world. We need to see the world as a complete holistic system whereby all of our counterparts throughout the world are really in active and fluid and even in musical dialogue because it really comes down to each of us maintaining a high vibratory consciousness to get through all of the flotsam and jetsam, all of the, the polluted political language that we have to face. In the you know, I'm really glad you brought that up, JJ, because I'm right now writing, putting the finishing touches on an article for the Huffington Post on the stressors. It's actually called the trickle-down stress effect. We know about the trickle-down effect from Reaganomics which is money that never reached us. It just stayed at the top, like cream. But this is called trickle-down stress effect, which is where the stress 
of the so-called leaders of our society, both in government and the captains of industry, their own stress, tensions, conflicts, both in business, in government, and in their own families and in their own psyches, is trickling down energetically into the body of humanity. So it does matter, on one hand, whether Trump has groped women and has acted with total disrespect to the better half of humanity or not. And it does matter if Hillary Clinton was uh, defying law and normal um, you know, protocols by uh, jeopardizing um, top secret information through the use of personal servers. It does matter. And that moral ineptitude, turpitude, if you will, has an energetic and toxifying effect on the entire nation and because of the United States of America being what it is internationally on the entire world. And can I say this coming Sunday, which is November 6th, uh, Mitchell and us are going to be at the Yoga Center here to bring people together for a we'll say a round table, really more um, a peaceful yes. sharing before the election that's coming. And I know this uh, tape is often heard from people for years to come. Yes. But if you're interested, it's from Fions, which is F-I-O-N-S dot org, and you can see the event. It's really, I think we're turning it into almost like a come donations, $20 suggested, but really just come and be with us to share in what's happening a few days from now, because we've got to put some positive energy into this. And Friends Absolutely. of IONS, or FIONS, was started by Astronaut Mitchell and his associates. And so we are basically throwing out the lifeline of dialogue on critical issues. Very true. Thank you for remembering to announce But I wanted to say this. Air. This is very, very important, helpful. because there's a gentleman in uh, the Washington area, Washington slash Maryland, by the, the name of... Of John Peterson, who puts out a newsletter, newsletter from from yeah. the Arlington Institute, and you need to read his newsletters this past year to understand the dangers on the left and the right. No, but he also comes Specifically out specifically meaning um, moving towards a militarization a type viewpoint as opposed to a. Uh, reconciliatory. Well, I have to say that uh, also his newsletter talks about future technology and everything that's cutting edge, and it's really an amazing thing that he's done. He takes all the, the modern things. For instance, something that just came out was bionic spinach, that it can sense actually uh, certain types of, we'll say, uh, uh, mines that would be in the ground and stuff like that. It's amazing. They're using nanotubes put into spinach, and then they're looking at the colors of the fluorescence from this, and they can tell if there's certain types of chemicals in the air. So there's so much technology that's available, even Brown's Gas, for cars, like in California, we, which is where we're really from, you have to pass your uh, emissions test. And if you put a Brown's gas in, which some people use uh, for only 200 or $2,000, somewhere in there, in that range, then your emissions go way, way down, even below even a modern car, because of the way your fuel is burned more effectively. This is a fuel it's additive. more efficiently. Yeah. So, As an additive? It yeah, is an technically additive. it's just an additive. You're yeah. not trying to run your whole car on Brown's gas. Sure. But, I mean, I would love for my car to run another 10 years and not 
to worry about the emissions. Is that commercialized? Actually, individual people are doing it. It's commercialized in the trucking industry because that's really where the money is. I hate to say that. but on, well, Also, diesel fuel is much more toxic. Yeah, and so actually truckers are getting 10 to 15% fuel savings, which is a great thing. It goes right into the air intake, and, they, you know, it's just an amazing technology to cut down emissions. These are all simple little Absolutely. things that anybody everywhere can do. I know you told me about this years ago. And uh, I think I mentioned to you that back in 1989 and 90, I was using magnetic fields as a means of changing the molecular bonding between air and the hydrocarbon molecule so that to create that kind of low to no, literally no emission, toxic emission, no CO, no CO2, just water. Right, and actually uh, BMW is now coming out with some of their test cars using a water hybrid engine, uh, which has been used for airplanes and other things in the past, and actually race cars. Absolutely. But they're able to now do this. It's amazing. The ability, the technology, and this is why I know we've cried many times, Mitchell, yes. the technology is available. People just haven't put their money into it to develop it for the world. And you remember, both of you, the electric motor company that I helped to start in 2007, actually, 2008. And that has now been proven by one of the leading engineering, automotive engineering firms in the world to be the most efficient automotive motor in the world. There's nothing that matches it. But because of different monetary issues, etc. It hasn't come to the market as a car. It is in the market as a Motorcycle, scooter. Motorcycle, right? A scooter, right. yeah. I exactly. remember that. Yeah, that's, that's right. fantastic. But now we have it as a car motor. And well, I can't say more well, about is... it now, but it looks like, God willing, it will be available in the foreseen future. This is, this is a small example of your forward-looking futuristic side, Mitch. And we all must have this futurism because we know evolution doesn't stop with Mother Earth. We know there's a greater cosmic picture of other evolutionary forms of intelligent life in the universe. We know through testimonies that I've had with three American astronauts, one Russian cosmonaut, that there are advanced life forms that are watching us at this time. And according to the keys of Enoch, there will be a time when the door will open and we can share with our counterparts. So I would like to Absolutely. address maybe two other keys of Enoch that look into the environmental situation. One of the keys speaks about our sun as a variable star. This was considered a heresy or pseudoscience until recent confirmation. Yeah, this is key 304. And I think that a lot of the things going on, like there's some volcanoes taking place and other issues, maybe even earthquakes, seem to be because of the changes taking place, not on only on this planet. Because if we go to look at Mars, as NASA recently had released in the last year, that they're also having melting ice in on Mars. So not only do we see the Arctic and Antarctic ice sheets melting, yes. sometimes at a faster pace than we even imagine, but we're also looking at it on Mars. So this so so I think a lot of the problem is here that we're causing, but a lot of it is really just happening. Cyclical. Yeah, and so we have to Very be aware of that. And so, the, 
excuse me, you know, the, the Keys were also the first to speak of MASER, M-A-S-E-R, systems on Mars, which are gas laser-like activities in the natural state, which have now been confirmed. And so there are three or four aspects of looking at the local planetary system, which we are involved with, which would have us be aware that some of these situations are not man-made, but are in the overall pattern of a much larger change that's taking place in the solar system. Yeah, so we can work with technology to try to solve what we can, and I think that desalinization plants that are green will help places in California. You know, I have to say, I just looked in a week ago at our map when they're showing the weather on the U.S., which is very common on all the news, and I'm going to Dr. Jack, I said, I don't see, there's not one raindrop from California to Florida or New York. I mean, it was just a blank, you know, we'll say uh, beige screen. Dry now, spell. Dry. And now, you know, you're starting to have some uh, rain, thank goodness, out in California because we even lost one of our trees. You know, about a, at least a tenth, if not more than that, of trees in California, especially the California pines, are dying because of bark beetles attacking them because there was yeah. not enough water. It's very, very sad, not to mention the fires right. that have gone on. So we don't realize, I mean, we can really enjoy the day-to-day because it was nice and warm, but we don't realize that not having the cold is not freezing a lot of the bacteria that would build up and, and destroy a lot of the plants and the things that grow. I mean, it's a whole vicious it's an yeah. ecological disruption that we cannot detect on a day-to-day basis. You need the higher, larger picture to see the way that parts work together, as you're saying. Right. So we need the technology, but then ultimately we also need the psychology to be able to go with the flow of the environment that we're going through and try to do it in a calm manner, a humanitarian manner, not try to, you know, gather as much as you can and, and take from the next guy. Acquisitional mind, yeah. absolutely. No, that's not going to cut it. No, that's really not. I want to circle back, though, to something you were just saying, Desiree, about looking at the cosmic uh, role and, uh, you know, the cosmic ecosystem, if you will which is that here we have Arctic and, and Antarctic ice melts, and you're saying same on Mars. Well, that's very interesting. There, as you both know as well, there is uh, an entire uh, domain school of economics that says that the econo- economic activity on Earth is all related to solar spots. Well, I can just tell you one thing. I was just at a a big conference at the United Nations, and I didn't know this, but a few years before the outbreak of the Syrian war, now I think a lot of it has to do with an oil pipeline that maybe Jordan and Saudi Arabia wanted to put through and Assad wasn't interested, but one of the main things is that they were in a major drought. Syria was in a major drought, and they asked the U.S. for aid. We did not give it to them. So Assad started making deals and pacts with some of the larger food companies, I guess, food growing companies, to take over certain land to be able to have food because the little farmers couldn't survive it in terms of the drought. I don't know the details. If someone else does, great. But 
it seems that even the Syrian war may have been ticked off, especially from the young people that were out in the fields that had to move into the cities because they could no longer farm and grow food. This is part of what we're looking at. And We've made this point on A Better World many times. Yeah, and even the French Revolution, let them eat cake, was because there was no wheat at that time. So let them eat cake was oh, the idea. So uh, we've had, we'll say, a long history of wars based on food shortages, and we could say water climate change, cha- water shortages, climate change, even small versions of climate change. Absolutely. Such a good point. No, we have spoken here, Desiree and JJ, often about the role of water deficiency in Syria as the cause, the primary. And then, of course, there are secondary and tertiary causes that arise politically, economically. But, yes, the United States and even the Syrian government wouldn't come to the aid of its own farmers to stem the issue of dehydration. Exactly. That's exactly and what happened. And this is what I'm now, I think I mentioned to you in a recent meeting of ours, that another project that I'm working on from Silicon Valley is with a uh, company that provides um, desalinized water. I think desalinated that's the, water. the greatest thing And we everywhere. can go anywhere. And in this interesting case... But it's green, it's, I'm sure, right? It's, oh, yeah. yeah. I oh, see yeah. a lot of the big plants are not green. There's like oh, no, one no, in Australia. Is, right. Yeah. And, but it's combined with what's called pumped storage, which is, in effect, the providing a use of water as a battery for renewable energy. So it's both energy and water. Actually, this is a whole other show. We'll have to come back because we actually support something called saltwater batteries. And saltwater and freshwater together, there's some new technologies that come out, and we believe that that was what the ancients used also. So in Egypt, we have proof of yes, yes, the Egyptians using we it. We found evidence. We do Mitchell, we found, I think we're all the same <laughs> way Mitchell, we found the actual evidence underneath the ground. Yeah. Almost 30 meters down, we found evidence. Of salt, in Egypt, of, salt, of, of the use of salt water. Yes, I have diagrams of this, my friends. Okay. I have diagrams. Okay, well, yeah. let's say this to the world audience that we're talking about revolutionary breakthroughs in archaeology, geology, planetary science, new alternative energy systems. We need a university without walls. And this is what the Academy for Future Science is all about. And those who are listening to this program, the Keys of Enoch are now going into a new edition with color plates, which we didn't have before, and that will be available. See if you write to us. The well, we have two websites, www.futurescience.org and www.keysofenoch.org. We have amazing documents available from our underwater studies in Japan, our work with the indigenous in South America, but the principal text that has motivated us for 40-some years has been the Keys of Enoch, whether it's to say we recognize that we are part of a larger dialogue of opening up the higher powers of the mind using the gracious joy and the spirits of forgiveness, of unity, of the human involvement with evolution and its dynamics, and also utilizing the dynamics of the mind as an antenna to reach out and to understand these very subtle but very precious acoustical wavelengths that encode within us as they do within the dolphin and the whale, a sense of familiarity with the greater cosmic self. 
the divine self is all yes. interconnected, that and we are so part beautiful. of it. I, I want to take that sensibility that you just so beautifully articulated here, JJ, and I want to weave it back to something that is so important to us all here, which is water. And that's been an ongoing theme in today's show, and it is an ongoing theme in all of our lives. And I want to bring it back to the people who have put their lives on the line out in North Dakota, including, by the way, to some extent, Amy Goodman of Democracy Now!, who was charged recently. And they dropped those charges and they replaced them with more severe ones. And I think right now those are in abeyance. I'm not sure of its current status. But because of the work that you have done with the indigenous people around the world, because of our collective commitment to them and to preserving water and moving away from fossil fuel, I would like to hear you both speak at our last minutes about how you feel and the symbology of the Standing Rock issue. Well, should I lead off? JJ, please. Yes. We've been uh, involved over the years with the indigenous nations, largely in South America. And we have had also great connections with the Hikalera Apache, the Mescalera Apache, the nations known as the um, the Hopi and the Zuni in New Mexico and Arizona, we've felt their compassion and their cry, which echoes the cry of Mother Earth, that we must realize that our home environment is being violated, and what is happening to them will happen to us. We who are of European background, we who have all of the industrial muscle, we in all nakedness and humility must stand and feel the winds, and somehow the scorching sun upon our eyes to go into our spiritual vision and recognize that the, the answers to all of these changes can only be answered collectively. So to that end, we stand at Standing Rock, we stand at Wounded Knee, we stand with all of those who must be given back their original ancestral places. Why? Because these are areas of familiarity to the gathering of horses, uh, buffalo, special animals as a witness to how we can work in ecological communities and build in strength and forgiveness. And so likewise, we stand with those in Flint, Michigan as well, who are still suffering, young people suffering because of the lead that's coming through here. We just recently actually saw a documentary on that. But, uh, yes, indigenous people have to be able to get back their land. They have to have fresh water to be able to live and to survive. And really, they know many of these ancient ways, and they can share those with us in terms of survival. I think that's the one positive thing we've always said, that the ancient peoples really can help all of humanity by teaching us how to go back to some of the old ways and how to survive. And in the Keys of Enoch, we are told that North America is blessed because of the indigenous heritage. So in spite of the political polarizations, in spite of all of these situations that make national media uh, involved with a culture of death and violence, we must realize that ultimately a culture of peace will prevail because we will overcome Amen. the distances and separations through our indigenous brothers and sisters oh. and the spiritual dimensions of knowledge that are there working with us whether you want to officially recognize it or not but recognize it in a paraphysical sense 
the the contributions of the indigenous will allow our scientific paradigms to move more into that reconciliation of what was there historically in a dialogue between the inner and the outer, the spiritual or the consciousness and the scientific. And the indigenous documents that we've been working with, some of great antiquity in Australia and certainly in more recent times in the mountains of Peru and South America, uh, particularly demonstrate that at least 30,000 years ago, there were very advanced cultures. And by rediscovering this in a sense of humility, we will avoid the over-polarizations uh, and ethnicisms that will divide us rather than unite us. And in that sense, we feel that we are being given the, the other image of the return of the dove. Beside the condor of the south, meaning with the eagle of the north, it's the dove, the third part of the triad of sacred birds. Which is a, do- a yeah, dove of peace. Exactly. So in this sense of the dove of the north, the dove of the south, the dove of the east and the dove of the west coming together to form a sacred sign of cross or space and time transformation in the heavens above our heads. May we be blessed and may we be transparent in our joy that we have found that the higher and the human are coming together. The key is called the higher evolution and the human evolution. They will meet and we are in that generation of that dynamism of mind, body, and spirit that will welcome our cosmic counterparts. And in that, there will be the victory of spirit over the traditional paradigm of matter. We will be blessed, and we are blessed as we continue to expand this dialogue, this university without walls on the Internet. We thank you, Mitchell, for your kindness, your devotion, your voice of electrifying sparks, and also your recognition that this conversation is just the beginning of a series that we will have pioneering the future amen dr jj hurtock dr desiree hurtock thank you again for being blessed guests on this show you are really helping to enrich the planet and the universe thank you mitchell and a better world Wow. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. So deep, so rich, so heartfelt from people who are traveling the world and spreading their light wherever they go and their joy and and their compassion. They are great listeners. They really take in the wisdom and the pain of the people they visit and people they are dealing with around the world and always seek to find a solution to the issues, as you heard right here on A Better World. Thank you all so much for joining. I know you could spend time doing any number of things on a given day, and we love that you come and visit us here. Please contact me at mjr at abetterworld.net. I love hearing from you. That's mjr at abetterworld.net, my direct email address. And visit us at our two websites, www.abetterworld.tv and www. I guess they don't need to say that anymore. MitchellRabin.com, R-A-B-I-N.com. If you need coaching, consultations, creative consulting, what have you, you'll read about it there. I'm available for talks and lectures, workshops, and more. You'll see. Thanks again for joining, and I look forward to seeing you all next